Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Whatever they need, bring them to Jesus. Just bring them to Him. If you can't bring them physically, bring them to Him in prayer. If you've been praying for them, then share with them. If you've prayed for and shared with them, don't hesitate to ask the question, do you want to give your life to Jesus now? Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Jesus, an example to follow. We're taking up today in Mark chapter one, starting in verse 35. In this study, we will consider Jesus's healing of Peter's mother-in-law, the sick and demon-possessed throughout Galilee, and a leper. Let's listen in. Again, when I'm at the end of my resources and God steps in, and sometimes he just takes care of the problem just as we're hoping and praying he will. And other times we're gonna hear these same words, my grace is sufficient. Either way, we wanna accept what the Lord has for and says to us. Well, at evening, verse 32, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Couple of things. They knew him because they were created by him and for him. There's nothing in the spiritual realm that's unaware that Jesus is Lord. And we saw it in Jesus' temptation when he comes saying, if you're the son of God, command these stones be made bread. The if actually means since, because he wasn't questioning if Jesus was the son of God. No, he, he's saying, if and it is true. That's the sense of the, the Greek there. And so it's since you're the son of God, I know what you can do. You know what you can do. Go ahead and do it. Meet your own needs. Do something miraculous. Provide for yourself. Of course, Jesus says it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Well, here he says again the, that he didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew him. He didn't need them advertising for him. He could do that himself. And without them getting any attention in the process, the age-abiding lesson here, and I get the phrase from G. Campbell Morgan, who I dearly love, if you haven't read his commentaries, and you're a student, he is an excellent writer, a clear thinker, a very good expositor. But the age-abiding lesson is this, whatever they need, bring them to Jesus. Just bring them to him. If you can't bring them physically, bring them to him in prayer. If you've been praying for them, then share with them. If you've prayed for and shared with them, don't hesitate to ask the question, do you want to give your life to Jesus now? Because I wanna say that failure to ask that question, it can be 
Well, it can have eternal consequences. You never know how they would have responded if you don't ask the question. Don't be embarrassed if you ask and they're like, well, no, I'm not ready for that. I think a lot of people are shocked if you actually ask them. I don't do it for shock value. I do it because I know there's a heaven, a hell, and hell, and people are going to spend eternity in one or the other. The first time I ever asked someone in a very close setting, it was a little home fellowship in an upper room in our house in Fountain Valley, that's Huntington Beach, but inland. It was the beginning of the demise, the move away from the beach. But nevertheless, we're in this upper room. We're young Christians. I'm doing a home fellowship. There's a gal sitting right across from me, and I'm like, you know, I just fell led. It was awkward, I do want to say. I look at her and I say, do you want to give your life to the Lord right now? And, and she was like, you know, like, what are you going to do? You can't run out. I mean, we're surrounded by other people and everybody's looking at her. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa I don't think so. And, and, and here's the thing. I have no regrets. I don't know how things turned out for her, but she knew someone cared enough to ask her, would you like to receive the, the greatest free gift ever? I don't know why we're embarrassed to ask people. Do you want to have the free gift of everlasting life? Listen, if you had an extra $5,000 and you were walking down the street or say you have someone gives you $55,000 packets, and uh, you better have a guard with you. But if you're downtown and you're like, hey, would you like a free $5,000? They'd be looking around, what's the catch? You know, what do I have to do? Of course, you'd be giving those away. They would be telling everyone they knew. Everyone would be flocking to you. This is eternal life. It's not five grand. That goes very quickly. But, but eternal life, it's forever and ever and ever. Well, in any case, whatever they need, bring them to Jesus in prayer, in person, and in faith. Now, in the morning, verse 35, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. It's another essential. Remember, Jesus is mentoring his disciples by showing them the very things he wants them to do, and he's basically doing that by doing them. And so he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to get up and early and go and pray because I want you guys to know. He knows they'll wake up and say, where'd Jesus go? And oftentimes, early in the morning, before dawn, Jesus took opportunity to get alone with the Father to just talk to the Father and listen for his response, to just fellowship with the Father. Why so early in the morning? Because as soon as the crowds were up, they would be looking for him. And that's exactly what we read here. He went out, he departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Praying, listening, waiting on the Lord. They are essentials if we are going to engage in spiritual warfare. That's something he did every day of his life. And that's something we do, whether we're armed for it or prepared for it or prayed up. It's still, the battle still rages. So there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him, verse 
36. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose, I've come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Here's a lifestyle. He's preaching. He's praying. Let's put it in the order they're in. He's praying. He's preaching. And he is freeing those bound by Satan. Now, not everyone is bound by Satan. Not everyone is demon oppressed or demon possessed, but everyone is bound by sin. And the one who sins makes himself a slave of sin. So we need to get free. And so you could read into this without doing any damage to the intent of it, that he spent time praying, preaching and freeing those who were bound by sin, who were, were bound by sickness, who were bound by Satan, because we see him doing all three. Next time, our lesson will be on forgiveness, one of the most powerful illustrations of it in the scripture. Not the most powerful, that happens very near the end, but a very powerful illustration. Finally, Jesus confronted with yet another impossible case, leprosy. It was the most dreaded disease of its day, and it's a fitting conclusion to our time together, as leprosy is a perfect physical parallel to how sin works within us. When someone had contracted leprosy, there were no exterior signs. And by the time you could see something on the outside, the leprosy had ravaged them on the inside. So it begins imperceivably. Sin does the same. And then it spreads until it, it takes over the whole body. We know cancer can do that. And sometimes people look very healthy on the outside, but inside the cancer spreading and they go and it's not like a small thing in a small place. It's like spread. And by the time you can see it outwardly, well, it's ravaged them entirely. That's how leprosy worked. And if you've ever seen pictures of lepers, you should know that they're, they're, they'll have nubs sometimes for noses. Their, their fingers are worn off. Their, their toes are worn off. It, that's not a, an, a, a direct um, response to the leprosy itself. Because one thing leprosy does is it numbs the extremities of the one who's a leper. That's what sin does too. It numbs us to the pain that sin should bring, to, to that, that guilt and shame that sin should cause. And, and so what would happen is, is a leper would put his hand in the fire and not know he had done so till he smelled the searing flesh. By then it's too late. Fingers are burnt bad, infection sets in. And that's why when you see pictures, especially from the past of lepers, they're deformed outwardly. But that's not from the leprosy. That's, that's, from, that's just an effect. The leprosy's within, the effects are seen without. And that's the same again with our sin. The things we say, the things we do, 
the, the things that we're guilty of, those are the, the symptoms. But, but, but the real problem is sin within. It's a heart issue. So the leper comes to him, no doubt hearing of the things he's been doing. There's no evidence at this point that Jesus has cured any other lepers. And that's a big deal because leprosy is an incurable malady, an incurable disease. A leper came to him imploring him and kneeling down to him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Note first his faith. He believes Jesus can do the impossible and cleanse him. It's so important. The, the, the second thing that stands out to me is that, is that he doesn't ask for healing. He asks for cleansing. Why? Because leprosy defiled a person. It, it was inward, but it had social and spiritual and, and physical and, and mental and every other type of ramification. Socially, you were isolated from all those people you would have had fellowship with. You weren't allowed to go into the synagogue. You weren't even supposed to walk into the city and walk down the sidewalk. And if you did and someone was coming, you had to cross the street, cover your face and cry, unclean, unclean. So fellowship was out except for fellowship with other lepers. And then beyond that, well, th there was the, you know, the whole alienation spiritually, no synagogue, as I mentioned, no, no going up to the temple and offering a sacrifice. None of those things were possible. Of course, that's going to mess with you mentally. It's going to mess with you emotionally not to mention the physical devastation that was taking place. And if you want to see an interesting parallel with sin, sometime go and check out Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. As David talks about the guilt and the shame and the pain he suffered as a result of trying to hide and cover his sin with Bathsheba. He talks about the mental, the physical, the emotional uh, the spiritual anguish he was going through until he stopped hiding from God and began to hide in God. And he, he utters a song at one point that says, you are my hiding place, one we've sung in the past and I dearly, dearly love. So Jesus knew how leprosy impacted a life. It defiled within, it deformed without, it destroyed, it always led to death. And while everyone's going to die, they don't all die, we don't all die. A horrible, you know, alienated, painful death like that. So, he comes kneeling before him, by the way, that's breaking the law and saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He believes Jesus can do the impossible. And Jesus moved with compassion, verse 41, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. 
Now, I didn't say this, but I, and I can't say thus says the Lord in it, but I still think it's a, a pretty, well, it's a pretty high probability that the moment that leper found his way into Jesus' presence, that the circle around Jesus would have gotten much, much larger. That people would have naturally moved away because they feared contact with the leper could lead to leprosy for them. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, as Jesus reaches out to touch him, had Peter been right next to Jesus, he would have hip-checked him. He would have never let Jesus touch a leper. Why? Because he's always saying, that will never happen to you, and I'm not going to let this happen, and uh, don't worry, I'm there for you. I'm not saying, thus says the Lord. I'm just saying it's worth considering. Peter would have been far from the leper and far from Jesus because no one would want contact with the leper. And when Jesus reaches out to touch him, I can, I can picture the horrified faces of the people who are looking on, except one person who's looking in the eyes of Jesus and hearing those words, I am willing, be cleansed. Doesn't ask for healing, he asks for cleansing. He wants to be restored, he wants fellowship. He wants to be with people. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. All it took was a word from our Lord. Why did he touch him? Because everybody is in need of human contact and no one more than someone who has been deprived of it. So Jesus touches him. He didn't need to touch him to heal him. He healed him with the word, but he touched him to show compassion on him. So he's, in, he's healed of an incurable, dreaded, deadly disease. And Jesus strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He says, I want you to go and I want you to show yourself to the priest and I want you to make an offering. The one Moses commanded, get this, there's provision in God's law for what to do if you get cured of an incurable disease. I love that. And, and, and so in why it's a testimony to the priest that God's working. And when something like this happens, they have to think, man, this has to be the Lord. No one else could do such things. That's what, what Nicodemus will say to the Lord. We know the Lord's with you because no one could do these things unless he, he was. And so, but then Jesus will take him down a road that takes him much further well, however, after Jesus says, keep this quiet, why? Because it was already too crowded. There's no way for him to even enter a city at this point. They'll say that. And, and so he's saying, I want you to be quiet about this, but I do want you to go offer a sacrifice, show the priest as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely. Now that's disobedience, but it's disobedience we can understand. He he can't contain himself. He's got to tell people, man, I was a leper. I haven't had fellowship. I haven't sat down for a meal with you guys. I haven't 
and now I'm able to do all these things. He could not contain himself. He went and proclaimed it. It means to publish it. But he's publishing it verbally. And to spread the matter so Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Keep it quiet, Jesus says, but no way. Here's an irony. Jesus tells us what I've spoken to you in the house. I want you to shout it from the housetops. And what do we do? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you guys. You know, hey, neighbor. Oh, can't hear me. Here's the thing. We have something to shout about and a command to do it. And yet we're so timid when it comes to obeying the Lord. And here's a guy disobeying the Lord and doing the very thing that we're supposed to do. Well, finally, Jesus began to disciple his disciples by demonstrating his authority in all things. We started with it. These things Jesus began to do and teach. Why? Jesus knew what every parent Every grandparent, every big brother, every big sister, both physically and spiritually, must learn. We are always teaching. And I've noticed that my grandchildren, as my children did, often retain more and imitate more of what they see than what I say. The, the idea is more is caught than taught. And so um, any new word uttered in their presence? I remember the first time I ever said fake news to Lou. I actually said, you're fake news. And, uh, and, and so it's like I could see his eyes and, and the way his brain works. He's like, fake news, fake news. He had to memorize it. So when he got to school and somebody said to him something he didn't like, he said, you're fake news. And, and, and so but but it's completely useless and even perhaps troublesome. <laughs> I remember when my boys, Nate and, and Josh, were, were young. Um, we watched a movie, probably inappropriate, but the guys had a dog and they called him Hosehead or something, you know, and they called each other Hosers. They were Canadians. It's just how they talk up there. But, but anyway, so he goes to school and he calls somebody a Hoser. And he gets taken into the principal's office, Christian school, Chico Christian. And, and the principal sits him down and looks him in the face and says, do you know what a hoser is? And he said, I think it's a Canadian. And so, uh, <laughs> true story. So, so the point is, if they hear it, but you're not wanting to teach it, oh, they're going to still say it. Any useless habit. The way you stand or the way you move or whatever it is, it will be observed and imitated. So the things you hope to teach, you say them again and again and again and again. We've all heard it. Most of us, if your parents have said it, I don't, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. That's probably, you know, hyperbole. I don't think it's been a thousand times. But, but nevertheless... If you want them to learn, you tell them over and over and over and you then come and say, what did I tell you about this? And they look and say, I don't know. I don't remember. And they do it imitating your latest stance with your latest facial expression on their face. 
So be doers of the word and not hearers only, because these things Jesus began to do and teach. As it pertains to Jesus healing us, we need to remember something very important. We all will be healed permanently of whatever it is that ails us. The how and when of this healing is not up to us, but it's up to him. And if it is his will to heal us on this side of eternity, the glory belongs to him. And if not, the glory is still his. If we do as it says in Psalm 55, 22, where it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. If we remain unmoved in our faith, regardless of our afflictions, we will be an example for others to see and God will be the one again receiving the glory. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.